Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Series 3 of The Legacy Tapes, a series of podcasts exploring how to leave something lasting in the ephemeral medium of theatre. My name is Rebecca Atkinson-Lord, and today I'm talking with Richard Twyman, the Artistic Director at English Touring Theatre. Richard began his career as a freelance director, and he worked in all the big-name companies, including five years at the RSC, uh, before joining the Royal Court as Associate Director, Brackets International. Hi, Richard. Hi. (laughs) Um, So this is interesting because it's the first time that I've talked to two successive leaders of one organization and so I'm really curious to see how the kind of the two conversations compare because I think we don't ever get to do that Mm. like hold up what people say about their vision and really kind of examine how it changes with with new leaders um you've been here about a year actually two years I just had my two year anniversary congratulations really flies by that went really quick yeah how's it been um it's been incredible I mean that first year is is such a kind of um, stretch of one's knowledge, abilities, yeah. everything, and you find yourself doing things that you, as a either freelance director or as an associate in a building, have, have just not come across. And so there's a huge amount of learning going on. And then, of course, and of course, you've inherited program and all of that. So it really feels like that first year is about just you know uh, establishing what the company is and how it's making work at that point and then that second year onwards is, is how you start to change it's it figuring so, out what you want to do yeah, yeah. but it's, it's been an extraordinary um, journey and, and, and privilege to be here and and I think um, we're, we're entering into a really exciting time so that feels really positive good what was the just out of curiosity nothing to do with legacy what was the thing that kind of you hit more like oh crap I never came across that as an associate well I mean on day one because of the time of year it was we were entering into that um, Arts Council MPO oh, yeah. four-year strategy. So I mean, it's probably everyone says that, but that was you know you've been involved in, in various fundraising things, but that is a whole other whole yeah. other thing. And it was literally handed to me on day one and said, right in, in two months you're gonna have to finish this, write this, and, <laughs> write this. and that was that was an enormous thing because partly at that stage you also don't have a relationship with the Arts Council, so you don't you don't know like are like literally it's a blank page in terms of where the company is at where you think they should be at what did your funding main funder think that the company should be doing and and you have to start to um craft and shape that vision to in in a way that you believe can can move the company Mm. forward yeah had you had you written like project grant or grant for the arts before and stuff yeah Yeah. okay so all of a sudden it's like the uber grant yeah okay good well you're still here so well done so so got it got it done um and was there like because because I guess especially at that moment of kind of of writing these this agenda for the next four years it must you must be so aware of kind of anything that you want to any pivots you want to make were you aware of like a, a legacy that you were inheriting that felt like a thing you really needed to carry forward like what were the things you needed uh, yeah to carry abs- I think I mean I think that's the challenge for anyone coming into an organization is yes yeah, how much do you sort of 
you know burn and 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 start again and and how much would you would you be absolutely insane and and you're obviously guided through that you you learn a lot through the interview process in terms of the board and and their relationship Mm. um to 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 the previous um incumbent and you yourself in terms of when you've been applying and where you think the company should go you've got ideas there so there is yeah there's an interesting negotiation that that is happening i mean i suppose for me um it was an interesting thing because I'd seen English Touring Theatre's work when I was an assistant director working regionally. At, say, I was a long long placement at York Theatre Royal, and I remember the company coming in a couple of times whilst I was there, and, and what an event it was, and how important it was in the programming mm. of that theatre, as it was for a vast um, number of theatres. And and then similarly through one's career, being aware of. Um, how important touring theatre is for so many artists um, coming from diverse backgrounds and and often outside of London and not necessarily from artistic backgrounds, you know, Mm. um, in terms of their family or scene theatre. And often it was that one touring show that came in that inspired that individual to apply to drama school, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I absolutely have that story. Yeah, yeah. it's maybe at some point we need to do like a kind of collation (laughs) of that because it's extraordinary how many people I talk to. Mm. So I was sort of very aware on, on a personal level of and in many other ways of the sheer importance of, of touring but I personally had obviously been working at the Royal Court in the International Department and my focus had been totally elsewhere yeah. you know it was literally the rest of the world and yeah. actually I wasn't travelling within the UK for like, a good what's going on? <laughs> exactly that was a good four or five year period where yeah. I wasn't and um, the shift for me was I was applying for this job and actually I think I was offered it in the week of the Brexit vote mm-hmm. and I remember very clearly going to work at the Royal Court the next day and everyone being in total shock and personally feeling incredibly guilty going I've had all like, there I was doing really political yeah. um, I thought right on well I thought telling international stories is the single most important thing I felt I could be doing as an artist and there's still a part of me that you know really believes that and while you weren't looking um, Britain fell apart exactly exactly yeah. and I remember a lot of people actually interestingly and I think they probably very quickly changed their minds um and I won't know names but sort of immediately went oh well you know London's got to clearly go on its own now and and I remember sort of because of the weird thing of going for a, a, an artist director of a touring company exactly at that point sort of having this deep deep instincts of going no that is absolutely not what I personally should be doing Mm. as an artist what we should be doing we've got to do the opposite we've got to get out there and start talking to people Mm -hmm. and hearing what people are saying and why we've got to this point and Mm. what's happening and telling stories and all those sorts of things and that then that was the big shift for me where this went from being um, a sort of a company that um, I'd you know seen as an audience member, but didn't know a huge amount about, mm. and wasn't sure that I'd necessarily be the right person to, to be running it or anything like that. To going, still don't know if I'm the right person, but there's something that I artistically really believe is mm. fundamental about what this company does. Mm-hmm. And I suppose then going back to your earlier question about what you try and take forward, I think mm. what was so. Um, extraordinary about Rachel's time here was her absolute commitment to audiences outside of London and to getting work out on the road and that is just I think whoever's in this company whoever's at English Touring Theatre that is the thing that's got to happen and um, how you do that I think is totally up for grabs Um, and of course it's a it's a really interesting shift because as well it's the first time a company in the UK was led by a producer Mm -hmm. Uh, all this this company touring company was led by a producer Um, and it was shifted back to having an artistic director Mm. so there were inevitably going to be huge differences in terms of how we programmed and the work we were doing Um, I mean, the other thing that felt really fundamental was 
so as well as Rachel's advocacy for touring um, and absolute passion for it and for audiences outside of London there's also something really significant about how um, she looked after um, artists and actors and those that were touring and the sort of really pastoral side of mm. ETT though I think ET were a real industry leader in that and that felt really essential that we didn't um, that the, you know that bit of bath water wasn't didn't thrown, get thrown out. out yeah, yeah. Um, but you know and the pace of change, interestingly, for a touring theatre, I think is potentially a little bit slower because you're booking tours about a year in advance. It's just yeah. the nature of how you know mapping together a, a, a mid-scale tour works. Um, so it takes a little bit longer to start to get one's um, you know programming ideas and 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 in, into the into the mix. Um, and the other thing as well is you're not learning about one audience. Mm-hmm. You're potentially learning up to about 50 audiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in my first year here, full year, we toured to, I think it was something like 34 different cities. Um, so if you, you think of the, the, you know, how specific a lot of these communities yeah. are that we're going to, and the range of audiences, is you're not learning about one, one audience in a borough in London. No. <laughs> it's, and, and how so, the hell do you speak in a register that all yeah, of those people will, be, will enjoy? Exactly. And I think that's one of the big challenges of this company is, for me, my passionate belief is that we're a national touring company and the fact that we're going mm. um, to, you know, to a really wide cross-section of the country is fundamental. Um, and that we're having national conversations is yes. fundamental. That, yes. That's a part of what we're doing and, mm-hmm. and the work I think is so key. I'll be sure to talk more about that later. But as we know, sometimes the best way of doing that is to be really local. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's how do you be a national local company? Yeah. Um, that I think is probably the big challenge going forward. Um, yeah. Okay. So then my question is what are the new... Because I have lots of questions that I'm, are going to come out of that. Um, but... I'm just going to ask the partner question, which is, what did you want to bring that was new? Yeah. Um, well, it felt... There's a, I mean, a couple of areas. So I suppose um, I had a conversation, it's a bit, sorry, a bit of name-dropping, but I had a conversation with um, Carol Churchill quite mm. early in my time here. I mean, if you're going to drop a name... It's a good one to drop, it's got to be that it? one. It's yeah. One of the great privileges of working at the Royal Court with some of the you people that you... You could have done it slightly better. You, you could have been like, I had this chat with Carol. <laughs> Churchill, <laughs> yeah. you know. Anyway, um, sorry. And um, I was asking her about, you know, because a lot of her early plays, obviously, um, were done at joint stock and, and were made and built, you know, with yeah. the intention of touring, and they did. And a lot of them didn't even come to London, actually, initially. And she was fascinating. She totally turned my thinking on its head because she said when we were making that, that work in the 70s, 80s, we believed that touring was the most radical thing you could do. Mm. And that actually London was a bit whatever. Yeah. Um, whether it was too capitalist or too past it or too saturated or yeah. too commercial, whatever it was. Um, and it was that belief that actually by going out on the road and meeting different audiences and by telling stories that are connecting disparate groups of people mm-hmm. all over the country and finding common threads and common language and all of that, that that is a radical act. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something I found incredibly inspiring and it's something that I would like to bring to this company. Mm. And that takes evolution. We're not there yet. Or, um, although some elements hopefully have started to bubble in that direction. But I would I would like us in terms of artistically to be a company that is making work that um, is genuinely more radical and exciting than the work that's happening in London. If that's mm-hmm. not too um, ridiculous a thing to say, um, and that feels really important to me that audiences outside London have mm-hmm. access to that. So 
that's um, one of the elements. And then the and then the other thing is probably what I've talked about is is work that is really engaged in the contemporary world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a danger. I mean, so the other reason when I was offered the job. I really questioned it, partly based on the name English Touring Theatre. Mm-hmm. I actually um, grew up in Scotland, and um, because my parents have English accents, I'd sort of had a slight English accent um, as a kid. Now I've obviously lost my Scottish accent. And um, it was something, you know, being English was used as an enormous insult. Yeah. Where I was, and it was something that I'd only moved to England when I was 18 and went to uni mm-hmm. down here in Birmingham. Um, and it's and then around the Brexit vote, that word was being pulled, pulled, well, just pulled mm. in different directions. Yeah. And if, you know, it's such a loaded word. And when I was working internationally, I mean, that was an extraordinary thing. You describe yourself British, English, whatever it might be. Um, I had a response in I think three of the countries I visited, which was, "Oh, you're English. That's all your fault then." <laughs> and um, yes. and yeah. you know, looking at our colonial legacy that we'd never like to look at, that there's a lot, a lot of yeah. truth in that. And so, for me, what I felt I couldn't do was run an English touring theatre where the English bit of that word felt uh, reflective or retrospective Mm -hmm. or congratulatory or um, celebratory of a kind of past. Um, For me, it's like we need to dive into that word and start to explore it Mm -hmm. and and think of that Englishness as something that is fully inclusive, um, something that's representative, something that is radical, something that is moving forward. Um, And that that you know again not something we're, we're there yet but that those sort of two principles are things but that man I would love being to... on the journey is worth it yeah. right yeah, yeah absolutely um let's just talk a little bit about there's so much stuff that you've, you've talked about because that the thing that i hear the most actually about touring as someone who occasionally produces for touring on the mid-scale is that it's broken and it's all hopeless and oh god and then the second thing I hear is, well, our audiences won't like that. Um, and I'm sort of, <laughs> and I'm sort of curious. Um, I recently, I was chatting with the board of a theatre that you toured to with a fellow, um, and they they felt that that was the the edgy high end of art. Um, and actually, like I haven't seen the show. It might be, I don't know. But um, what, what it wasn't was somebody, you know, spinning from the ceiling with a laser butt plug, which is the other end of, of edgy contemporary. We oh, didn't see the show. We did have that. Okay. End there. Oh, no, damn no. it! No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, and so I kind of I, one of the things that interests me with this, you know, talking about touring to people with different registers talking talking to people with different registers is how you manage that sense of the radical that you were talking about because radical in Wolverhampton where I'm from is very different to radical in Sussex or radical in Glasgow or wherever uh talk to me about that yeah I mean these are the conversations we have every day here and um and I'm sure we'll do for, for you know all the time that um Sophie and I are here it, um, there's really complex stuff there. I mean, um, the first thing is similarly like you, if I had a pound for every time I heard the phrase touring is broken, yeah. um, or, you know, our audience wouldn't come to that, then I would be a very, very, very rich man. Um, you probably wouldn't need to talk. You probably, probably wouldn't need to. Um, I mean, the thing I say rather flippantly to um, touring is broken, and I, and I understand it because people who are saying it are often the artists and what they're expressing is the, the, the sh- incredible, 
incredible difficulty and financial burden mm. that often they're shouldering. And so I don't mean to make light of that. But the thing that I often say in response is that um, it, it's not broken, it just needs a lot of subsidy. And it's mm-hmm. just a choice that we need to make as a country, as a nation, as, a, as an artistic community, whether mm-hmm. we believe touring is an important thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. And if we do, we have to subsidise it really properly. And I think a lot better than we're doing now. Yeah. And because it is expensive and there's mm-hmm. very clear reasons for that. It's expensive to move people uh, yeah. around the country and to stay at home yeah. and for all those things. And it's and I mean that across, you know, from we're, we're currently producing our first small uh, scale tour for a long time, and the economics of it are insane in terms of the, the sheer cost. Mm. And and imagining companies with much less subsidy us and much more than us it is it's it's terrifying mm. the, the, the pressure that's being made being put on people. Um, and I equally know, having spoken to a lot of venues, that the, the things they're suffering from regional theatres. So f- for me, there's like um, and touring is only one aspect of it, but for me, there needs to be a Real radical shift in terms mm. of um, how we subsidise nationally mm. um, and the portion of money that goes to London, etc. If you know whatever, whatever it might be, but um, but yeah. So for for me, I'm on the camp that I think touring is absolutely fundamental mm-hmm. to um, what we are as a country and to um, what we and the work we should be making. And both historically, the work that we've come from and how theatre began in this country and its legacy going all the way back to those you know medieval mystery plays, whatever it might mm. be. And just and but also in our desire to not be parochial, to not be enclosed, and all those things. I think it is so fundamental. Um, I just think we need to give it more subsidy. Um, and then the second thing um, about what was this? What was the second part so of that? Because yeah. I mean, just bouncing off what you just said—that desire to not be parochial. Mm. Um, because I, you know, I'm I'm from Wolverhampton, which is I love you Wolves, but deeply parochial in many ways. There isn't um, there isn't a pride in a cultural offering that comes from that place for lots of complex reasons. Um, and some people quite like being parochial. Some people identify their, themselves as not in dialogue with the wider world. So th- it's just that, like, how do you how do you talk to those people as well? Um, yeah, I mean, God, the reasons for that are... are you really... might not have an answer. No, I mean, it'd be hard to have one <laughs> single answer. Yes. What's this? I figured it out. I think... Uh, Oh, gosh. I mean, I think one of the issues we have in this country, isn't it, is that our um, political, economic and cultural centre is the same place. Yeah. Um, and what that does in terms of the dra- the drain on human resources, on financial, mm. on all of that stuff is huge. And mm. then, and we could talk forever, couldn't we, about the years of neglect that, um, yeah. you know, in industry and, you know, whatever that's happened outside of London. And, 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 and all of that, is, again, isn't to diminish any of the extraordinary work that's happening and you know there's so much brilliant work out there so I suppose um, I think one has to acknowledge that there are circumstances Mm. that make it really challenging I mean the flip side is is that I some of the ideas that I'd heard um, both from without and within the company when I joined around that question of oh an audience won't want to see that um have really been turned on their heads. You know, I came with a really open mind, mm. not really knowing much better, um, yeah. apart from when I'd, you know, worked regionally as a, as a, as a younger director. 
Um, and time and time again, I've been constantly surprised and excited mm. by the audiences that we're meeting. Um, sure, there is a there is a sort of a conservative audience member that is out there that is quite common to lots of cities that will complain about but, everything. But more yeah. than that, that, that there are there are so many more um, audiences with diverse backgrounds and experiences and mm. openness to things. And I. Um, and, and I think, you know, ETC is nowhere near, as you say, with the Othello, nowhere near the radical end of the work that is being that made. That wasn't me being or, a dick. No, no, I, 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 I mean, say the same thing myself yeah. um, in terms of the radical work that's mm. being made for audiences and that's really attracting people. So, so there's, I think there's incredible hunger. I think it's about slight supply and demand issue mm. that there's probably just not enough work being made and being taken so audiences aren't exposed to it in quite the mm. same way. Um, but I think there possibly potentially is a slight sort of patronising of audiences that has happened and um, I think it's really exciting to see where that's turned around. I mean, I often think about Netflix and I think about, you know, we talk a lot about audiences being very scared of new work and yet every single night millions of people are going on there and going, yeah. oh, what's that show? With, like, deeply formally challenging <laughs> yeah. visual um, imagery yeah. and, you know, completely non-naturalistic narrative. Like, amazing it, stuff is exactly. happening. Exactly. And, and, Try and do it in theatre and, and they'd be like, our audience don't like that. Exactly. And so, yes, there's a challenge because they're in their own home and so it's easier yeah. and, it's, and it's a much more affordable model and theatre is expensive. And the, so so there's, there's, there's issues we have to tackle. I'm not sure that the biggest one is the work being challenging um mm. i i really in my experience as audiences are reopened but there are tactics you know like we've as i say because we're evolving our program this year just so happened that we've done two and we've got a third coming of shows that are on the syllabus and mm-hmm. that was intentional and fundamental because when i came in you know a, a, a really large percentage of our audience were over 55 now we can't turn our back on the audience we no. need them desperately they're really significant and also we've got to remember that most of that audience grew up in the 60s so they're probably more radical than any of us um but uh it was absolutely fundamental we were getting younger audience members in and more diverse yeah. audiences and yeah. of course that goes out saying and um so as so doing stuff on the syllabus was really important and so that was sort of how I began what I realised when I started to sit in these auditoriums in um, Chelsea Walker's production Streetcar um, which was really um, deconstructed and contemporary and challenging um, what, what, what one would describe if we were thinking it was challenging for an, you know, for an, uh, an audience and some of the venues we went to and um, my, my, what I realised was that how fundamental it was having young people in the audience because that 50 or 100 young people in each night meant that the rest of the audience who might perhaps on the surface have found I don't know the Blondie track a bit incongruous or yeah. something or that or where, where in the end of that production it became um, really quite abstract in, mm. its, in its visual language um, if, if and I'm not saying it was but if that was going to be a challenge for some of those audiences not having seen work in that way before it was the response of the young people around them that gave them the, the lenses, as it were, yeah. to see and appreciate that work and to totally enjoy it. And as a result, I think it's one of the most successful pieces of mm. work we've done in recent years. And our feedback from it across all sections of audiences was phenomenal. And um, and so hopefully that's carried forward with Othello. And I think for us, quite excitingly, the real test... There are balloons in Othello, there's a punch bag. I mean, there's all yeah, there's all kinds I of stuff. all sorts of things. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think... 
what you know where the end of this little experiment is going to go to um will be in ned bennett's equus which is mm. coming up next year and you know we know you know i'm sure listeners and audiences sort of know his work and you know he's a phenomenal artist and he's really going to you know deconstruct and blow apart mm-hmm. and do something really exciting with that play that's not been seen before and that that's going to be interesting that will be taking stuff a step further mm. and saying to some audiences who perhaps will not have been brought very much of that work um and i'm really excited to see what happens and you know and then there's a you know i i think for me like even within that though there's a part of my brain which is cautioning because there is a total other way of looking at this which is you know that that production of equus um you know maybe isn't where the company needs to evolve to Mm. you know maybe it needs to actually evolve into something that is much more inclusive and is much more um sensitive to um to different audiences if that makes sense Mm -hmm. you know maybe there'll be something to london about that in a way so um but at the moment in terms of the work we've been doing this year um, in terms of diversifying, getting much younger audiences, making the work much more formally and artistically um, inventive, um, that feels a good place. And we haven't yet lost an audience. I mean, just mm-hmm. to, I mean, anecdotally, but we were in Newcastle with a fellow a couple of weeks ago. The National were there with another Shakespeare play that remain unnamed um, in the bigger theatre. We were there at Northern Stage and we sold out um, for the entire week. Yeah. Um, so, and in a way, that goes back to the first question about this crisis in touring is that that's really true. It is unbelievably expensive. There mm. isn't the support out there that there should be. And particularly, it's true for new you know, we've, we've been doing this 25 years. We have a, a trust and a legacy mm-hmm. that's been built up. And a lot of that is the extraordinary work that Rachel did here. But if you're a new company and you're, and they're the ones who are probably doing the work that is really going to push forward yeah. and, and, and audiences, um, there just isn't the support at the moment. It's one of the reasons why we have this program called ett forge which is a sort of a key part of trying to nurture and support um touring at both the small and mid scale um but but yeah we've we've found that we have got audiences for the work we're doing currently Mm. um and even in those cities that are traditionally a bit harder um we've found that they've been growing um the question mark is what happens when we take work which is really really radical yeah. or where we start to do stuff that's, that is cross art form that is new writing and mm-hmm. and for me at the moment where I'm you know two years into this job is I'm having really big questions about what a touring theatre should be in the 21st century mm-hmm. and I don't know of any answers at the moment, so please don't ask me no. but um and where we could go and that I you know I don't know about mm. you know how that will fare but. um so let's talk a little bit because I think a lot about touring because it's the thing I do um one of the things that Rachel Briscoe from Fanshan, who I respect a lot, says often to me is that so much of our touring is focused around urban centres. And then if you're in one of those towns that's part of the conurbation, right, the satellite towns, you never get, nothing ever comes to you. And I think there's... So that's the thing, this sense of so much of... We, we think about touring to the regions and what we mean is touring to other urban centres. Um the regions somebody should shoot me for saying that um but then there's also this truth that the biggest divide in brexit the the first two kind of divides on how people voted were um higher education and then it's whether you're urban or rural and rural touring is impossible (laughs) theoretically because just of the travel logistics so in that 
frame your question, Rebecca. In that very complex and difficult landscape, if we want to talk to all of these people, because that's what you're talking about, right? You're talking about that kind of the finding of a unified voice for a nation, or at least, or at least a harmony, right? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, but okay. Go that's, Go that's, no, that's, no, sounds, that sounds quite fascistic in a way. No, oh, no, I don't. I, don't mean that. I just no. mean finding the thing that can speak to everybody in in some. Yeah, I suppose. Somehow. I suppose I'd just say allowing the conversations to happen, mm. but letting those conversations to be happening okay. on a national platform and across the country and all of that. Yeah, yeah. but I think. I think diversity of opinion is really key in there. Well, oh, yeah, you? no, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I just mean, like, in terms of how we... Finding, finding a way to frame a cultural... Got right, yeah. a cultural conversation that is speaking in the same language. Because at the moment, we're, we're not. Like, you know, there are things that I come to the table with or that you might come to the table with as assumptions that, you know, yeah. my sister doesn't come to the table with as an assumption. And, and that, that, that gap is where culture happens. Mm. So my actual better question is, how do we find a way to make sure that that gap where the culture and the conversation happens includes people that aren't in cities. Is that, mm. like, how do... Is that a thing that worries you, or is it because mid-scale touring... Yeah, it's huge. It doesn't work in the region, it's, in the in um, rural, rural places. It's, it's a massive thing, and actually... I mean, I suppose... I think there are some extraordinary rural touring companies um, and who are doing really brilliant mm. work, um, and it's not something we've um, done before... Um, Although one of sort of um, artistic associates at the moment, Elizabeth Freestone, um, formerly artist uh, director of Pentabus, and we've been having some really great conversations about trying to build, bring some of that knowledge into us and whether it's something we could also sort of explore. Uh, in terms of that thing you're saying about the, the non sort of, let's say, affluent urban centres mm. um, or the non sort of the, those that don't have the really well funded, the few really well funded yeah. regional theatres that are out there. Um, it is it is really the thing that keeps me up at night because I think that's the thing that is most important about ETT and I think it's the thing that makes ETT unique mm. to some of the other um, well-funded um, subsidised touring companies. And we could happily tour to a select number of venues with you know relatively solid titles and mm. know that we would cover our running costs yeah and we could do that three times four times a year go to exactly the same cities and that's not what we're here for or what we're, we're funded mm -hmm. about um the flip side though so something like othello for example is a perfect mm -hmm. example of something that does the other thing um i mean listing the cities um we opened in oxford because they were one of our co-producers um and obviously that's a very affluent city and it did sell out there it was like really worked um and the rest of the tour you know went to went to harrogate went to doncaster went to huddersfield went to oldham went to Poole, went to cheltenham went to warwick uh went to newcastle and i hopefully haven't missed anywhere um and just you know the, the, the stretch of sort of um economic divide in those cities is mm. remarkable those are yeah. the, the one end to, compared to the other um and the range of lived experience in those cities is you know probably about as diverse as it can mm -hmm. get within, the, Oxford, within yeah. the uk yeah and um it's absolutely fundamental that we find a way to keep going. So the, the way we were able to do that was through a strategic touring grant. So mm. it was through real investment from the Arts Council. And I think that's what I mean about this subsidy. And it was part of a three-year strategy. And we've seen audiences over those three years 
Um, and it sort of has been the time from when I would got the job to now that we've seen those audiences grow in almost every single one of those cities by well over 100% mm. um, through clever programming, through um, marketing initiatives, through audience development things. through, And that is... So it just it takes a lot of effort and time and a lot of subsidy up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's no sort of magic to it, but it's just we have to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had a matinee... Yeah, it's, you know, this, sorry, sounds a bit like we're blowing our own trumpet, and we shouldn't be, because there's loads of things we're not doing well enough at the moment. But, you know, we had a midweek matinee in Doncaster, and we paid to 450 people um, a few weeks back. And that is significant um and significant in terms of where where we began Mm. um so there's something about work that is feeling relevant and engaged um and you know and there's something about work that's sort of directly speaking to people's lived experiences of of the world today and that's really important um so yeah i don't think there's a magic answer i I think for us where we've done it successfully Mm is through real significant support and subsidy. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, um, that's obviously been the principle behind some of the work that the National's been taking on tour and the Arts Council's um, funding of that. And I just think there should be much, much more of it. Mm. And I think possibly we should... I mean, we are sort of ultimately, but held accountable about whether we are or not aren't going to some of those mm. um, some of those towns and cities. Um, and for us, you know, we need, to, we need to keep going. It's part of the idea now is that the three year that project's ended is that those cities will will be ones that we regularly still tour to now we have to balance because there, we're not living in a world unfortunately where, where we get significant guarantees from theatres yeah. so everything you do on tour is a risk yeah. um, and every tour is different so it's like you're starting scratch you know from the beginning you don't know how it's going to go and the size of our company one or two bad tours in a row would be disastrous mm-hmm. so th- th- there are um, there are sort of responsibilities <laughs> that we have to, you know, the company. But it's, a, it's about being really, it's, I think it's about learning the landscape, which, you know, um, two years in, I think we're just beginning to do. And the, the, how widespread, you know, those 34 mm-hmm. cities we went to, we started to learn about them, build relationships. And it's about a commitment to keep going to them and um, keeping to grow and nurture those audiences. And I guess there's also a a sense of a demonstration effect, you know, like thinking about the theatres in... I have no idea about the theatre in Sandwell in Dudley, but it is the place that I'm talking about. Like, you know, the theatre there that sees the place, the theatre in um, Litchfield doing a thing, doing something interesting and unusual and exciting that they then feel like isn't such a terrible risk. Because I think there's the risk to the company that tours that we talk about quite a lot. Um, and then there's the, diff- the there's, we talk a lot about the difficulty that theatres, that companies face in getting theatres to give guarantees, like mm. you just mentioned. Um, but if, you, you know, if you're the person in charge of those theatres and you've got 146 grand from for a tiny NPO and then you've got whatever the council give you and whatever people pay for their tickets that's you know those numbers don't add up so there has to be a way to kind of that you know the, the gaps aren't just with the people making the art the gaps are, the, are with the people receiving sure. the art as well and I guess I'm really curious what you, what you think about how that subsidy should be spread because yeah. basically this is your platform where you're like give us all <laughs> the money that's yeah. very that's your I key mean, I suppose point. in my experience a lot of those um, smaller uh, very local town venues 
are rightly so much much more focused on participatory work and and on um work that's sort of really engaged in the community and that and, and actually a lot of those seem to be doing it really quite well mm. i think the gap is that i'm seeing at the moment is in that section of playhouses those sort of 350 to 800 yeah. seat venues where that are just screaming out for work to fill yeah. their schedules um that is pushing their artistic identity forward as well and um and that's where it feels the real dearth is i mean i think one thing i sort of mentioned earlier is i think we have to find ways of supporting new um younger companies to to get to get up to the mid-scale in that sense and whether that is um you know guarantees against loss schemes from from the arts council whether that's you know more focused strategic touring granting like we've had but has subsequently been changed whether that's company like ours taking responsibility to partner and nurture and work those companies whatever it might be um whether it's you know convincing venues to take what might be perceived as risk but very rarely is on those voices Mm -hmm. you know all kinds of stuff um but that i think is a huge resource that we have in this country that isn't quite yet being given the oxygen it needs Mm. to to start to fill those theatres um so that would be one way um, but yeah, and then yeah, we, you know, I've sat in a lot of roundtables lately, and every solution is on the you know radical solution from cutting all the touring companies and giving all that money to the venues to cutting cutting the venues and actually giving all the money to touring companies and letting us sort of you getting know, everyone um, a tent, you know, getting everyone a tent, you know, it sort of <laughs> is you know everything in, in, in yeah. between, you know, um, you know, cutting all the funding in London, knowing most of those theatres will be okay, and giving all that nationally. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's mm. obviously those things need much more nuance um but yeah i i think one way is by would be by getting up uh, you know new voices out there onto the circuit i think would be fundamental yeah also because i I, just this last year i spent quite a lot of time with doing various stuff with theaters at that kind of yeah up to 800 seats the kind of regional playhouses that may not have any npo and and like just getting by or um that you know the 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 npo kind of pays you know the ceo and exec salary salary really and that's it um and one of the things one of the conversations that i come up against again and again and again is like how do i pay the rent for the theater if i take this you know how do i how do i pay the money i have to make on this week and why would i risk that when if i risk that it's these 20 people's jobs yeah when what i can do is program I know Ian Lee and that will sell out um or or actually really interestingly program an amateur dramatic a local amateur dramatic company who will totally sell out will pay rent who are working who actually have more money to spend than most professional companies because they're not paying people costs you know those those I feel like there really has to be a conversation about how we manage that pressure um because there isn't even a, a, it doesn't matter if there's a, an appetite f- to push the envelope in, in terms of the, the artistry, because you don't take the risk. Because if you know if it just happens to rain that day, you're buggered, or, or it snows that week, or it whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, I'm just the, giving you problems. Please no, solve them all. No, no, I mean the the reality facing venues is is as we know is really extreme, and as you say, it is jobs. It's it's you know it's jobs and livelihoods mm-hmm. and and keeping theatres lights on and, and all of that um, I mean I think um, there are positives in the in the, the ecosystem there in terms of the sheer variety mm-hmm. of work that's, that's then being made um, I think 
um, work that is participatory and that is genuinely got engaged in local communities is is really significant and important and arguably something that the UK's well, I don't know actually, but it's done in a slightly different way to Europe, and I think it's interesting how we're putting, hopefully, beginning to put more resources and more attention to that work. Mm-hmm. Um, think of something like Pericles at the National recently, mm. um, and I think that is a really, really good step. Um, of course, you know, a lot of regional theatres um, have been doing that work for decades. Ever. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> um, off, you patronising git. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so I think. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, there, there isn't a solution. And we know, you know, when I when I started in this industry in the early 2000s and I my first proper job was at York Theatre Royal, um, I think at that point they were programming 12 to 14 shows a year, including the Panto, mm. in between the studio and the main house. Um, they were self-producing and that wasn't even co-producing. Yeah. Um, and we know the landscape God, now. Sounds they, like utopia. And, uh, yeah, and that, and that was yeah. true of the vast majority yeah. of the non-receiving houses um, of the rep theatres. And... You know, now I'm not quite sure statistics, but I, it's, I suspect it'll be under five. Um, so, yeah, there is a huge. The, the flip side is, is I suspect there are probably more a greater variety of audiences coming to the theatre in terms of what they're actually coming to see there and mm. people coming to that building than, than perhaps there mm. ever has been because of, as you talked about, whether it's comedy or music or uh, amateur groups being programmed. So, I don't know. There's there are audiences out there I just think we have to be really inventive and clever about how we engage with them and sometimes yeah that is through art and making the art better yeah um, and um, that is a really really valid way of doing it and other times it's about being much more inclusive and open and generous in, in the offer and the and conversation and the glee <laughs> yeah come and have some glee yeah yeah okay um, so I just want I just wanted to ask a little bit about what if you're aware of kind of because this is supposed to be a chat about legacy which it sort of is um what are you aware of a legacy that you're creating like did you arrive or do you have this this thing this picture that you want ett to take shape into no i think i think coming in i probably was too ignorant of too many things to have a clear picture i mean there are definite like pole stars that you aim towards Mm. and there are things and beliefs that you form and that uh, are really significant um i mean for me i talked a bit about before in terms of the word english um and in having those conversations and and you know really 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 diversifying the stories and the audiences and, and who's telling them and um that's so significant and this thing of a national local conversation is really significant for me conversely with that is that you couldn't do that and also not have an eye internationally mm-hmm. so one of the things that i haven't worked out how to do yet but i'm really keen to is that experience and knowledge that i built up at the royal court working all over the world um is how that can also because wouldn't that be a glorious thing for english for an english something called english touring theater and also be telling international stories and engaging mm-hmm. with the rest of the world like that feels so fundamental yeah. at this point in time so that's something which we haven't done yet we, we're just beginning to uh, to explore international touring and we're taking our first production abroad next year um but there's much further to go mm. in terms of genuinely um international co-production uh, you know that, that that would be something i would love us to get to yeah. um and feels really important yeah. and um 
and is something that you know audiences get at the Barbican and, and maybe a few other spaces, but but a lot of a lot of audiences outside of London don't have access to, and I and I see absolutely no reason mm. why not. So, but there are things like that. Um, I'd love fifty percent of our program to be new work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's this uh, sense, isn't it, that we we can only program in a lot of these spaces, and this is you know where there is a slight sort of censorship, let's say, with how you book a yeah. tour about what titles you can and can't do, or what yeah. will be booked and, you, and won't be booked. And we're, we're beginning to push that now, and that's a re- that's really interesting. Mm. Um, and um, where I would like to be with that is that we can confidently program new work on the mid scale outside of London and know that that won't you know um, cripple Bomb. us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I. Uh, that's something um i think more probably the single most important thing that we could do whilst we're here is to try and um change the industry's attitude to touring Mm -hmm. um i think there's a fundamental (laughs) and enormous problem with how um it's seen uh, in various quarters and some of those you know they're not these aren't necessarily individuals problems you know things like you know, critics not having the resources to travel outside of London to see work. Yeah. Or, um, I think some of it's the fault of the touring companies, as you say, perhaps only focusing on some of the more affluent urban areas mm. um, and, and therefore the audiences. Some of it might be to do with um, some of the work that's going around and its quality. And I think there's, you know, blame lied there. I think, um, and, and, you know, I think we need to become better at how we look after people on tour mm-hmm. and so and making it an attractive thing to do. But I also think there are really, really significant issues with how um, uh, it, it, the work is seen by agents and, um, mm. and by some actors at the moment, really, to put it really simply. Um, casting a touring show at the moment is an extraordinary thing if you ever wanted to make a documentary that's what I suggest is follow the casting <laughs> process on a touring show I've done enough casting <laughs> to never want to think about it ever again you will learn but, a yeah. lot about how um, the, 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 you know the rest of the UK is viewed by people it, it's quite it's quite remarkable and I think and, I, and listen I understand why I mean the cost of as we know most um, not most but a, a large majority of um Actors or directors, whoever it might be, are living and working in London, and the cost of living is so extraordinarily high that TV and film do often become, with families and with all of that, the only mm-hmm. option. Um, I understand that agents need to make a living as well, and um, you know, so I, I can see that 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 t- you know holding out for that TV offer and all of that. Mm. But the amount of times I meet and talk to actors who are so frustrated about the lack of work out there. And it's so hard to tally that with the reality of, you know, putting a list together for auditions and 90 out of 100 actors just having no interest whatsoever to, you know, the moment you say it's a touring show, mm. phone down. And I, th- I don't know, I, I think we've... I, I wish there was a sense of responsibility at the moment. I wish there was a sense of that Carol Churchill thing about going out and making work for audiences outside of London is that is an important and is a radical thing to do. And is not, I'm not saying that touring is the solution to Brexit. That's what that's what the headline of it should be. Um, tour to solve Brexit, but but. I mean, it, it's not gonna. It's not gonna hurt, is it, to go out and find out what people are really living, what other people are really no. thinking, um, and and to have conversations about that stuff. Um, 
that was always the principle behind the international work that we were mm. making at the core, that you can, through storytelling, through listening and telling stories, you can understand peoples and cultures that you perhaps have had no direct experience of, mm. but that through the act of that, yeah. you can understand humanity and bits about both yourself and about other people and that that can make the world <laughs> crudely. Yeah. Sounds a bit like... Because music should come in now, can make the world a you know a better place for all of us. But this, and okay, so this is the thing because I'm so I'm so with you, um, <laughs> but so with you, right? But right, that's a that's a conversation that's a conversation of reciprocity. It's like here is the thing, here is my story. You tell me your story. We understand something. We find a commonality. Totally right. What we don't do, what we're really good at in this country, is taking our um, metropolitan liberal elite sensitive stab me now but sensitive sensibility yeah, yeah. out to the poor benighted regions um, and no one ever like where is the, the, the there, I mean there are a few touring companies from not London yeah um, who do cast and and recruit in not London but the conversation the cultural dialogue is not reciprocal it just isn't um, so I think because that's the thing that really kind of I don't know because because I'm I'm from a place that is doesn't really know how to have its own pride in its local culture uh in fact almost the local culture is to be humble to the point of disappearing um and but also I'm you know I'm an adopted member of the metropolitan liberal elite so I spend my whole life torn between being like just do what we tell you from both sides and then being like well hang on why the fuck should anyone listen you know if I live in if I live in um if I live in the northeast and my and I have seen my community be crumble because of the policies of this place and no one wants to hear me say that and there is no space for anyone like me who sounds like me to say that why should I let some other twat come and tell me what they think yeah I mean I'm just ranting no, this is no, my fault but. I totally agree and it, and it comes down doesn't it, to the stories that we're telling and that we're, we're putting our subsidy into and what we choose yeah. to tell and I think all of us have to, have, to, have to be better and more aware of that and I think it goes back to that thing you're saying about there being uh, real local engagement and locals narratives and stories being told and opportunities and, and I think that's where touring companies are useful as a kind of pollination then you know that are mm. able to be both local and national i think that's yeah. what i mean by that um there is a kind of yeah fertilization pollination whatever you want to call it um that, that is key and i think a city's cultural offer or th- in terms of theater offer can only exist with both things i don't think it could be one or the other and i'd never suggest that and that's where i mean that so many venues are doing such extraordinary things in their towns but um yeah i think we've got a real problem in london mm. um i think uh i mean anecdotally we're in newcastle there are two geordies um in the cast um of othello one um is actually not doing his own accent because uh, mm. he's playing casio and he's so he's playing you know and one is and whenever the actor went on stage he's doing his, and everyone else in the play it's in their natural accents i'm not that kind of director but um Whatever the guy who's got his own actual accent came on stage, the right. audience, yeah, yeah, absolutely loved it, and and just that idea of representation and seeing yourself on stage, yeah. and it was so funny for the other actor. <laughs> One of them, God damn it! Um, yeah. uh, but, but but there's a serious point there in terms of you know it, within that cast because of you know half the venues we toured to are in the north of England. Mm. That um, I think over half of the actors in that cast were from the north of England, yeah. um, and that was intentional you know that was really really significant um so i think it is about um 
you know, and, and, and also I probably haven't said it, but it wasn't, you know, it sounds because we're, we're talking about Othello here, so Shakespeare, so how, you know, Jesus. So, but what for me was important is it was, is it, it, it was it's an approach to Othello that that explores his uh, spiritual, religious, cultural identity in a way that hasn't been done in this country before, and in terms of the populations of a lot of the cities we were going to. Um, it, it, we were finding ways of both way the work doing around it and the way in and even the post design and all of that was a mm. way of trying to sort of open up and it was a it was a it, it, I think whenever I do a classic like that it's like going why don't we just write a new play about this and you think you have to be able to answer that question mm. and for us what was significant was about going um whether we like it or not there is a predominance of Shakespeare in the sort of cultural capital of yeah. this country and the vast majority of people do not see themselves in there at all and yet we have to study it and it's on the syllabus yeah. and all of yeah. that um, and how do you get beyond that and so it was a way of going there is some, sometimes something radical about within the form of that hopefully you know setting a bit of a bomb off and going oh actually no um someone you know this this could be a muslim character actually and mm. therefore you could see yourself on stage in a sort of national culture either more exactly mm. um and it's and, it, and it's for me it says so much about us as a culture um this is me going back to my raw court days and our sort of myopathy um uh, around the rest of the world and different cultures um that that's been buried in that play since it was first written and no one in this country has ever explored yeah. that and academics have talked about yeah. it you know there's amazing books um all of that but it's just not something that's ever been gone to and and and, and so i think but uh yeah sorry i'm probably going off topic now no but mate yeah. i'm it's interesting to hear the thinking that's the point um no go, go off topic it's yeah you just said something about I'm, I'm going to rein the conversation back in shortly, but you just said something really interesting about, and it's Shakespeare, and oh God, and you kind of stopped yourself because, and in my head, I kind of played through what the rest of that was, which yeah. is like, there's enough bloody Shakespeare out yeah. there, and every, and that's what everyone thinks theatre yeah. is, and that's what stops everyone going. Yeah. Um, but also, in my, you know, in my bedroom in Wolverhampton, where none of, you know, no one in my family went to the theatre apart from the pantomime. And Shakespeare, the, 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 there was something about the glee in Shakespeare that was what I loved and that was what got me into theatre. And especially in the, especially in kind of north of, north of the Midlands, north of Birmingham, there's such a massive autodidact tradition that really, that, that we, for, that we patronisingly forget exists um, and we presume has disappeared. Um, and I sort of think there's quite a lot of yeah this, like people are fucking erudite north of north yeah. of the Watford Gap yeah. um, and even if they're not erudite Shakespeare isn't about erudition if it's done well it's about gut yeah. and pulse and you know yeah, absolutely um, so I just really wanted and to really, say that for some reason no, no you're absolutely right and really huge political and social issues that you know are problems that we're still grappling with in society now probably more so than ever yeah. and um no absolutely and as a lens for that it's really useful i also think there's something as well in its form that it's not a literal form mm. and actually seeing people today with that language whatever they're dressed as however it's being staged is unless you're doing it in a very particular kind of way it, it's probably not literalism mm. and i think that's really significant in terms mm. of the act of imagination what theater can be yeah. and um so yeah, no, I, I suppose it's more it's it's the predominance, it's the amount, it's the um, and it's, it's the laziness of it. Yeah, like because it sometimes it's brilliant and sometimes it's like. But, but it can be. In. I mean, for us, it just became a useful vessel mm. to get those audiences in because um, they're studying it. 
And, you know, I can't describe how many young people um, saw that around the country. And that is really exciting because of their response to it. And, um, you know, we need to, as I said said earlier this earlier, we need to do more new work as well. That's key. But, um, yeah. Maybe not double bills. Um, Come for three hours of Shakespeare and then have. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I remember seeing a... A Midsummer Night's Dream at the RSC when I, I, I mean, I must have been about 13 or something, with Gisette Simon as Titania. And uh, and the Titania bottom sex scene was pretty damn, you know, raunchy, you believe. There were great noises, it was amazing. And there was, a, I went as a school trip from, as a scholarship kid at a girls' convent school, and everyone was quite embarrassed. But then the party in front of us was a school party, and they got up and left because then their teacher stood up as one and said, class 14b with me and off they went and because this moment was so affecting and that was the minute that i was like oh i'm gonna do this yeah and so that i found that super super interesting that that we think of shakespeare as this thing that's or any of the kind of classical plays and also for me it's about representation as well as i wouldn't do any shakespeare play at the moment the ones i'm particularly interested in the ones that have opportunities to open something out um but i am quite fond i remember when i was at the rsc there was a there was a lecture set up i think um with adriana chaplin who was um the writer in residence at the time of michael boyd or maybe it was not at the rsc but they both spoken it um around should there should there be a ban on shakespeare for three years or five years or something a moratorium and 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 i'm quite um i'm quite a fan of that idea i sort of in quite an impish way i think that would be really exciting it'd be interesting to Um, see what people did instead yeah like what is in your what's the thing in your imagination that you've never been able to do yeah been brave that'd be really fun yeah, I don't. I don't know that we'll do another one. You know, in any certainly in the next few years. You know, I think we need to focus on other things. And, mm-hmm. um, and but it's a balance, isn't it? It's about you know work where people literally directly see themselves on stage, and that that's that's key. Um, mm. And it's about work that allows people to imagine worlds and ways of living and identities and ideas that they haven't had direct access yeah. to. And I think, both, again, both those things have to happen yeah. hand in hand. Just to do one and not the other. Would, yeah. Okay, cool. Right, wrangling it back in uh, to legacy. Um, the last, I think the last question I'm supposed to ask you is, uh, so when you leave this place, and that place can be ETT or that place can be the world and wider astral plane what how would you like to leave it changed oh gosh um that's a really really challenging question isn't it you can see so many traps in it uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm teasing um <laughs> oh gosh um i don't know you know one of the whole things i love about theater is its ephemeralness is that um mm-hmm is the way it it's there exists in its moment and burns really brightly and then and then does go and it leaves room and space for the next person to come along brilliant and, tell me about that no one's I, ever said that and that's what i think say that well um it just for me what it gives me as an artist it gives you the ability to be totally present in it in that moment of you as a group of people who are making that work and making it for that audience and that gives you um, a freedom and an intention which is really urgent mm. um, but equally the freedom comes from the fact that it exists there and then and then it goes and disappears mm-hmm. and that that space is, is 
then freed and what's so exciting at the moment culturally is how much that space is being freed for, for other voices for new things to come in and new conversations to be had and that for me is the great strength of theatre is its impermanence mm-hmm. and is its um is its ability to evolve and shape shift and and that's what the imagination is and that's why for me it's the art form that you know thus far I've wanted to sort of make my life and so that uh, it's 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 the fact that it burns out mm. and then is reborn again yeah. <laughs> um that is so significant and i think um yeah um so that's one thing i mean and then the other sort of thing is probably what i've said already but it goes back to this idea of um why we tell stories and this idea to understand people and you know and bits of cultures and ourselves and societies and all of that that we haven't lived Mm. um but that we can understand through um through telling stories and I, I just think for me that's the reason I sort of get up in the morning and the thing that really excites me um so to have done that uh, a lot <laughs> significantly <laughs> yes. hopefully I, f- I think feels feels something that would you know would be proud of mm. The ephemeral thing's interesting in that I always felt like the I have always felt like the thing that makes this precious is that it is but for a moment and then it's gone. So you get it and then poof, and I love that. And then the other day I was I went to Stonehenge with a friend from Canada who is being a tourist. And while he listened to the audio guide, I sort of sat on the grass and looked at Stonehenge. And I was sort of thinking about Oh, I'm such a wanker, but I was sort of thinking about the relationship between the ephemeral and the eternal. Because the thing that is eternally true is that this too shall pass. And I was like, that, there's something, there's a real grace I, yeah. to being, to, dis, to, to giving yourself up to disappearing. I think there's a much, yeah, I think there's a much greater connection between the eternal and the ephemeral than there perhaps first appears. Mm. And I think often, um, we, we lived in this hyper hyper capitalist time so we're often led to believe that the eternal is actually about containing and controlling and yeah. having and um, and I think interestingly a lot um, theatre is in a really interesting moment in its relationship to capitalism <laughs> I've literally just come back from America and I saw I was at a basketball <laughs> game so forgive me what's really on my mind but every single second <laughs> of watching American sport you are being um, distracted and entertained and sold to mm-hmm. and it really really makes you aware of how that's basically true here as well yeah. it's just slightly slightly subtler but and what's so interesting i think about that in relation to theater which as you as you say is is there and gone that you can't have you can't you can't control um and is an art form that in the vast majority of cases is sort of inherently anti-capitalist because it, it loses money yeah. <laughs> um and also it, it's, it's to be experienced not consumed yeah Exactly, and and I think our, where our problems are at the moment is the fact that I think we're seeing it in the most capitalist terms, and I think mm. that's causing a huge amount of pain for younger artists who are feeling it very inaccessible. Um, and, I'm a middle-aged artist, and, and, yeah, and I have that yeah. pain, and 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 just real, real difficulties mm. in terms of some of the work we're making, and. I think there's something, there's some really big questions we need to answer about what it is to make theatre in a capitalist society at the moment, and mm. and what what is it? Because um, certainly, yeah, I mean that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. And how we articulate yeah. value in ter- because we can only understand value now in economic terms. Yeah, and and that is not where art sits. Yeah, at all. 
and unless you're Michelangelo then there's a whole other thing yeah okay. but the great, in, in theory the great freedom we should have is that unlike say art for example or mm. fashion or other things those are you know or film or television those are industries which um, can make money for people and so the influence yes, no of that is not really <laughs> apart from a few lucky people <laughs> in the West End let's say it's not really and um, that's you know that of course that creates that creates issues and that mm. does create issues of access and who's able to make the work and roots into it and the amount of work that's being made the amount of people that want to do it versus the amount of opportunities there are and it, that's why I mean, there's incredible difficulty out there but um, I think there's possibly a way of flipping that on its head and also seeing um, where the real opportunities are within that and the freedom mm. maybe because um, there's certainly rebellion right uh, uh, you know if this is this if this system is not your system come and join us in the system that isn't this system yeah. or come and join us figure out what and the system is and we've never been that good at that in this no. country um, as we know compared to other places in Europe and stuff and, and I wonder whether we need to a little bit yeah um, I mean the other answer to your legacy question sort of born out of this question is I think what's happening is really exciting in the industry and I think these jobs the time frame on them is getting shorter and shorter and I think um, the uh, the other answer is that one leaves the company obviously in a better position all that when you found it whatever but that you also you're creating an environment that the next artistic leaders that are coming through mm. are able to truly represent the country are able yeah. to be radical are able to work in a framework that can start to answer some of these questions mm. um, that would be a tangible and really significant I think legacy yeah yeah I'm going to stop there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.